So in the 1500s, there was a trader that came from the land of Turkey. And yes, I'm going to throw these out so you'll want to keep your heads up and not be paying attention to the Vikings game. Sorry that I shorted that one. You'll want those. Tulip bulbs. It's not a bad gift. So a trader from uh, present-day Turkey shows up in Holland, the Netherlands, with these little characters, right? That was money. We're not throwing things anymore. The proper language is, you want them way back there? Is tossing. I'm tossing them because throwing them is illegal in my household. But tossing, okay, I'm going to like, I'm sorry, I got to try to... I, This is going to come in low because I don't want to hit the thing. And so it's going to come in hot. So close, but not close enough. Here's one more. Oh, okay, at any rate. So, the, okay, so a trader goes from Turkey to Holland, okay, and brings tulip bulbs, right? And the Dutch, they're like, oh, this is absolutely amazing. No, tulips don't come from the Dutch. They imported them, and then we got them from there. At any rate, so it's tulpenmani. Say it with me. Tulpenmani. Tulpenmani. It's the Dutch phrase that means tulip mania, okay? Dutch can't get enough of a good thing, and by 1634, the tulip market in the Netherlands is bonkers, okay? Absolutely wild. Tulpenmani, okay? Tulip mania. Um, uh, Present-day dollars, Top bulbs were going for, in present-day dollars, a million dollars for extremely rare ones. And even ordinary couple, even ordinary couple colors were going for $50,000 and up. So it gives you a sense of the market. Tulip bulbs were even listed in the Amsterdam stock market. Then you had undercapitalized people buying using credit, creating these highly leveraged realities in which the intrinsic value, now please understand, I think flowers are very important, okay? But the intrinsic value of a flower bulb just isn't there. By 1637, it had crashed. Supply greater than demand. People lost enormous amounts of money and property. Historically, it happened. We know it to be true. Although there are some economists today who want to argue the negative effects got overstated by some folks, Dutch Calvinists, who wanted to argue against the speculative nature of business, irrespective, tulpenmani is a cautionary tale, not just for business, but for all, of a quick trip to the top, an overheated sense of value, a belief in the invincibility of an entity, and an equally speedy return to the bottom. It was a nice run, but falling fast. Gravity is profound, oversupply even more so. Esther, verse 1, chapter 7, page 414, starting with the previous verse. While they were yet talking with him, the hymn is Haman, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the feast that Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to the feast with Queen Esther, and on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, 
And if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he who has dared to do this? The danger is not past, this reoccurring theme, right? Esther knows what to do, but she still has to do it. And we got to win this one, okay? If we don't win this one, okay? Ever been there? Again, we've, re, we've visited this theme. Ever been there knowing what should be done and not doing it? Knowing what to do and doing it. It works at a number of different levels, right? I should do something that I don't want to do. I want to do something that I shouldn't do. And on the flip side, I do do something that I should do. And I don't do something that I shouldn't do. The things to do. A list of fall tasks. The doc's got to come in, reside the pump house. It needs to get done. It's so easy to procrastinate, right? Knowing the things that should be done and not doing them. And I understand a list that we would create is relative in its need. I mean, if the pump house doesn't get recited, is it really that big of a deal? Probably not. But what are the things that need to get done in our life? What are the things that we should start doing? What are the things that we should stop doing? Esther, it's, it's, it's mastery in the art of persuasion, right? And again, she still doesn't know how this is going to play out. To quote sports announcers, this is why you play the game. The odds are against her, right? The value of a queen has already been diminished by the Vashti debacle. But, but Esther occupies this unique ground, right? The, this unique combination that I think I think we all possess if we are willing to develop it. It's this combination of, of the responsibility that we have as humans in a given situation and the influence, guidance, direction of the divine. I think all of us possess this if we're willing to develop it. Human responsibility and the influence, guidance, direction of the divine taking the initiative, right, of developing that. But always having this thought to, to what is God doing in this situation? I still remember years ago, okay, we had kind of, um, um, we're at a point at the Life of Timberwood Church where we had made a decision that we wanted to be a body of believers that had its own building. Rather than rent a building, we were in the community center, right, right by the fire hall. And so we had made that decision, and so we started exploring these things, and a piece of land came available for sale. 20 acres, right across the road, right over there. Other side of 370 run from where we're at right now. We negotiated with the family that had offered it for sale. We achieved a price. We fundraised for it. 
There was an appetite for it. People were excited about it. Man, it seemed like God was doing something and like moving us forward to the next step. And it was so cool, right? And I remember driving southbound on 371 once and I had the thought, as sure as I'm standing here, what if I ask you to walk away from that land? And I'm thinking to myself, you got to be crazy. No, that's a beautiful piece of land. It's 20 acres, right? I, I mean, it's like, it's waiting for us. I've never told anyone, maybe I've told Tiny this, but I've never told anyone this. I had the thought, what if I ask you to walk away from that? So often when we think about this combination of, of, of our responsibility and the activity of the divine, the activity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in our life. If we're relatively confident, we think in terms of our responsibility, and I'm just going to do something to get it done. I, by, by my own personal agency, I'm going to make sure that this happens. And so we're like, Forging ahead, just do it. Without a thought to the other part of the equation, right? What is the activity of the divine? I had that thought weeks before the family refused to sign the purchase agreement that would have executed the document. I didn't have to make the choice no one here had to make the choice to walk away from the land. And to be sure, when that deal fell through, it was crushing. It was like, God, what are you doing? Because that seemed so ideal. Where are you at in your personal life in this, right? The combination of our humanity, our responsibility, our human agency, and the influence, guidance, direction of the divine. Do we take the initiative, good, but do we have a thought to what God is doing in the situation? Do we at least have an ear open to the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit saying, okay, you're taking the initiative, good for you. But should this be actually something that you're doing, should be doing? Esther, right? She doesn't know how it's going to play out. It's why you play the game her responsibility, the influence, the guidance, the direction of the divine, the unseen power throughout the entire story. She answers the question, verse 6, a foe and an enemy. Okay, casual observer. Okay, Haman's on the sidelines of this, right? It's the king and the queen talking, right? He's observing this whole thing going down. Queen Esther is about to get a request, okay? King Ahasuerus is about to give up to half of the kingdom. I mean, everyone's stakes are on the table, right? Murder. 
annihilation of her people. Haman, second in command. I got to believe, okay, just because, I got to believe that maybe he even thinks what most males would think in this situation. Oh, I can fix this. A woman in distress? I'm a white knight. Without ever realizing, like an amazing number of males, he has caused the distress. He's probably thinking, this is my turn to shine. Oh man, you'll shine all right. Just a little bit, you'll be on top of the Christmas tree. (laughs) Ever been there? Ever been there? It's not my fault. I didn't intend on causing harm. Yeah, but you did. So I'm reciting the little pump house, and I'm not very good at this kind of stuff, but it's a small project, and it's far enough away that no one's going to notice the detail. And so I'm in this one little area, right? Okay, and, and, and basically there's a hose bib that comes out, and then there's a corner trim piece, and I'm trying to pound a nail in a spot like this. And if I had a nail gun from a friend of mine, then it wouldn't have been a problem, but I'm pounding with a nail, and I'm chink, 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 but I don't want to hit the hose bib because it's metal and it'll break. And so I'm, I'm like holding it, and I'm like, I'm like kind of like this, and I'm like I'm repeatedly hitting digits. I'm not trying to cause pain, but I am to myself. I didn't intend on causing any harm. My goal was to pound the nail into the piece of siding to affix it to the pump house. That was my intent. Amen. Good job on intent, John. Poor job on execution. Have you ever been there, right? It's not my fault. I didn't intend on hurting you. Yeah, but you did. You did. You did. And then what do we do, right? I mean, we have other examples of this in the Bible, right? David being confronted by Nathan. And, and please understand, I'm not taking on guys. This isn't a polemic about guys, okay? This isn't a polemic against guys. All of you guys are wonderful human beings, although there's nothing as fragile as the male eagle. It's just that the biblical examples are often males doing stupid things and needing to be corrected. I'm just replaying what the Bible says. David with Nathan gets absolutely tattooed because he's an absolute idiot. we like, oh, I didn't intend on causing harm. Yeah, but you did. And we'll soon discover there is no off-ramp for Haman. But there is for us. What, what do we do when we've done wrong? intentionally or otherwise. Esther, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace guard. You've been in that situation, right? 
The commentators are all like, ah, he didn't know what to do. No, I, I've been in that situation where you are so steaming angry, you don't know what to do or what to say next. And you're like, I, what am I going to do with this one? And you get up because you figure that's better than whatever else is going to come out of your mouth. Haman can see the edge of the cliff, and he has no idea how he got there. It's like you're on a roof. Have you ever been on a roof, like shoveling the snow off the roof, and you get too close to the edge? And you're sliding? And there's, no, there's nothing that can be done. I mean, you know what's coming. You're going to test gravity. It's over. It's always amazing to me how in the movies, the superhumans, the, 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 the stars, the secret agents, they have all of this time when they're falling through space. I'm just like, no, you don't. If you've ever fallen through space, you know it's like over like that quick. Haman can see the edge of the cliff. He has no idea how he got there. Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. What a great line in the Bible. Memorize that one. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine. As Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was, and the king said, will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? The irony is rich here. Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Amalekite, is on the deck before a Jew. Whereas, just a few verses ago, he was so angry that a Jew wouldn't get on the deck for him. He's, he's just trying to stop the free fall. His posture puts him in a very compromised position. The queen comes back and says, what the... Hell hath no fury like an angry king seeing his queen accosted by someone that used to know. Hell hath no fury, an angry king. The king makes one rhetorical question. Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. The metaphor there is obvious. Love Harbona. Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Hey, did you know the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word actually saved the king, is standing in Haman's house and it's 50 cubits high. Hang him on that, says the king. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. It's an intriguing question, right? Should we as Christ followers have compassion for Haman? It's a question that Tomasino asks in his commentary. Quite frankly, I'm cool with no. No works for me. But it does invite the thought, right? And I think there should be a default in who we are towards compassion. What does it look like to develop compassion in our lives? 
Not pity, but compassion. And again, I think in cases like this, it's cool. He got what was just. And now the story turns, right? The story turns to the, to the issue of what to do next. This battle is done and won, but tomorrow is a new day. Will the unseen power be faithful again? And I think that's where most of us live. This day is just about over. And we wonder, will God be faithful tomorrow? I think it's a legitimate question to ask. And I think it's a legitimate tension to wrestle with. And I think, again, the answer is discovered in the Bible. Because even though the poet in the book of Psalms talks not specifically about tulips, he talks about flowers and talks about grass and says that they are beautiful, but only for a time, and then they're gone. But that God, God lasts forever. Please pray with me. Father, work in our lives. Allow your spirit to influence our thoughts. What are the things that we're doing that we need to stop? What are the things that we're not doing that we should begin? Father, I thank you for the consistency with which you and the Son and the Spirit present yourselves and act in our lives. Thank you that in the combination of our responsibility and your activity, that you are consistently faithful for today and for all of the tomorrows. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.